friends, and welcome back to another fun-filled, introspective episode of Dice Advice. My name is Harry, and I'll be guest hosting for the evening. I'm sure by now you've become well accustomed to Jesse, but unfortunately for us, and fortunately for him, these are absolutely the best of times. Our dear friend has been smitten with the kitten of his dreams and will soon be entering holy matrimony with a very lovely lady. To the happy couple we wish health, wealth, strength, and stealth. Good luck and God bless on this new adventure together. And now let's jump back in. Thank you for joining us once again for another episode of Dice Advice. We are a tabletop RPG podcast where we take your questions, quandaries, tales of valor and debauchery. After we digest these questions, we bring them back to you, our dear sweet listeners. For the evening, I'm your host, Harry, and around the room we have... I'm John. I'm Saul. Our returning guest... Leo. And a very special first-time guest... Flora. Spouse of Saul. Thank you all for being here. Let's roll some dice. <clears throat> that was Question. beautiful, man. That was really good. Yeah, that I think nice, it went well. Oh. Dude, that was really good, man. That was solid. We might have to replace yeah. Jesse. You know, <laughs> I wanted. No, I can't. I can only do this once. Oh my god! <clears throat> All right, boys and girls. Question number one. Hey, fellas. Boss Hog four twenty here. Love the show. Long time listener. First time question asker. My question is this: In regards to role playing. What are your thoughts on players staying true to their characters? Often there are moments in a game when what the character would do and what the player wants to do are in conflict. What advice do you have for players to help resolve these conflicts, especially when these characters are deliberately, air quotes, off-brand, so to speak? I think that's a really good question. I very well uh, proposed. And it's something that actually I was playing in Leo's campaign just recently. And I played a fictional character that is from a very popular television show who is very different from my real life self. And playing that character, trying to stay true to that character was extremely difficult because I wanted to do stuff that would be way smarter than that character's capacity to do things. Yeah, I could tell that you were... I really appreciated that too while you were doing it and, and don't think that I didn't. And from, from the other side of the table, uh, being the dungeon master, I really, I really respected that watching that. Cause I knew I'm like, Oh, he's, he doesn't want to do that. Saul knows better, but <laughs> Jerry doesn't, and he's going to go ahead and do it. I know it. And that's something that I was, um, being, being the dungeon master and watching your players take actions that, you know, uh, that they personally wouldn't take. That, to me, is the most exciting part about role-playing, is stepping out of your own skin and stepping into the skin of someone else and then demanding from yourself that you stay in it. Yeah, this is a really cool question. Loving the um, the, the handle, Boss Hog. <laughs> it's great. Um, but so this is this has um, always been very interesting to me. I love a challenge. So I played in a campaign once where... Um, I was uh, playing a Furbolg, and it was really cool because 
Firbolg have this interesting history, like they don't have names and it, this is all like, you know, a social construct that other races have developed. They will go by a name if they're given one, but, uh, you know, they, they don't, they don't think in terms of names for, you know, plants and animals and stuff like that. So they don't have their own names. And so I I had this weird idea when I started. I, I wanted to be like very mysterious in the party because it, it was like a group I found on Discord. And I really wanted the character to like kind of slowly come out. So I came up with this idea of just not talking, right? And describing all of my actions as as if he, as if the furball didn't like, ha- wasn't able to speak or, you know what I'm saying? It was really cool. Because secretly, of course, he knew several languages, but um, it, it was a challenge for me. And so just describing the actions that the character was doing was really fun and trying to figure out ways to communicate to the other party members. And uh, eventually they did decide to, to, to give me a name and it was based on, you know, something that I did. I, tra- you know, I was a druid transformed into a, a wolf or something, savagely attacking one of the enemies and like describing an excruciating detail the way I was like the, the way the character was like ripping this the guts out and all this stuff so they call me guts but um nice. but yeah no, I, I I mean it was just a really fun experience for me and a challenge in, in, to do something different than I hadn't done before with a character that y- you know when you take away the ability to to speak to the other characters you really have to dive into that role and so, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of like a, a long drawn out diatribe, but um, it, 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 the aspect of role playing that that aspect is is probably one of the coolest parts of the game. And I think, um, you know, giving yourself that challenge, trying to act or do things that the character would do. I, I completely agree with that. And um, I, I think the word that comes to mind for me is conviction. And it's it's like um, any actor playing any role. This is a role playing game and any actor in any movie, you know, what really draws us to a high level actor is their commitment to the character. You, like Billy Bob Thornton and Sling Blade. It's kind of like he he probably could see a, a similarity or two between him and the character of, you know, Green Tomatoes or whatever. But uh, they, they were so different from each other. And it, it must have been a whole nother world. But to the reason he won an award for that was because he committed to this character. He committed to the the truth of that character. And something that Hemingway said years ago, you know, you, you know, when he was alive, um, said something about truth transcends time. So when you say something true or you do something true, it'll go the distance and it'll ring true with everybody else. And I think being authentic to your character, it takes a certain amount of commitment and conviction to to be in character. And it, the the thing we play these games to escape ourselves. You know, you could you're yourself twenty four seven, three sixty five. But you, with these games, we get an opportunity to be someone else, somewhere else, in another time. So it's like uh, if you can get in that mind space. And let that take you over. I, I don't think there. I don't think there should be any conflict. I mean, I understand the question, but I don't think it should be a conflict. Just, be, it, I feel like it's almost a no-brainer. 
that you should let the character behave the way the character would behave. You've been yourself all day long, all week long. Let the character live in the game and be, let the character be true to itself. That's my take on it. Much profound. I guess, like, my take on this is to be really true to a character is more to take yourself but enhance a certain element of you to an extreme. So, like, I have this cat where I take the sassy parts of myself but make myself even more of an asshole. And, like, I've done some really crazy things, like call people racist when they didn't recognize tabaxi as a race. And then when we're just, like, hanging out in a bar, I, like, just drink from my drink as a cat and go... <laughs> Good foley work. Yeah, so that's... uh. That's my assholery at work. <laughs> I think that's a good point to take take parts of yourself and accentuate them. And, I, you know, that kind of makes me think about something like I've played characters that I don't think I would like in real life. And it reminds me um, of something that I've learned in my my older age that when I meet someone new or discover something new about someone that I don't like, what I'm probably doing is mirroring something about myself that I don't like. Mm. So that's deep. It's, it is a way role playing for me has always been a way to explore the aspects of my own personality that I wasn't necessarily thrilled with. Yeah. I think it's really cool. I mean, the, I, you know, the idea that we're, I think revolving around this idea of finding something that you can relate to in the character at least. And I think, you know, Harry, what you were saying earlier, actors, you know, they, that, that, that when they take on a role, I mean, obviously they're trying to live this for an audience and like make it authentic. I really like that idea, the, the idea of authenticity, but, you know, finding something that you can relate to anything, even the smallest thing. On that point though, doc, I think the, the, the submit the submission also has this really good uh, phrase which is off color yeah and so that being said i've played with you guys for now gosh two years now and oh yeah even your most heinous acts of these characters you've been playing i would not dare say is off color so i think this goes back to we our our favorite motto which is at your table yeah um yeah. <laughs> but what are you comfortable with allowing at your table and what do you consider off color? Am I playing a very dark warlock who loves playing with dead bodies and <laughs> yeah. resurrecting the dead and, you know, kicking children and puppies? Um, not puppies. I know not puppies. You know, that's gotta be you're, you're evil at that point. Yeah. And I, the, I would like to ask too, you know, for the DM perspective, I think it'd be interesting to to talk about, are you willing to punish your player for making a decision that their character would not, you know, is that, is that a valid technique to using gameplay? I think it is. And I think the, the rule books, at least in 3.5, when I remember playing it, there was the alignment penalties. Um, if you weren't true to right. your alignment, you lost access to spells. You lost access to abilities until you either atoned or committed to a new alliance. 
that happened in Pathfinder. Yep. When we had that Pathfinder um, adventure where I was, what was, was I a druid or what? You were, you were a druid. We played with Jesse and them, yeah. I've used those mechanics as a dungeon master myself, alignment checks. And and you might want to call them, you know, we just, I just heard someone use the word punishment. I would say it's nothing but a series of micro punishments. Yeah, or penalty. How else do we dissuade players from, from taking actions that we don't like as a, I mean, you, you can call it railroading, but let's say, what if it's a little bit more finesse than railroad and you just call it gentle herding? Well, so me and Laura were just talking about this. She was referring to a campaign I ran about a year or so ago. It was correlated. It was about the same time I was running the Dragonlance campaign. And she jumped in as an NPC. And her character originally was like a chaotic good character. And then she talked about eating intelligent humanoids to survive. Yeah. Would you like to chime in on this one? It was like a debate we had about feeding the village like whether or not to eat the centaurs centaurs well it was a dead centaur <laughs> well that changes everything <laughs> <laughs> hey man yes, if you die with your shoes on you're fair game <laughs> so her chaotic good her chaotic good cleric was debating on feeding the the, the her town dead centaur well it's the horse meat Oh, just the horse mean. I'm sorry. Right. Just the horse half. <laughs> I mean, this is technically, this is crossing into some moral, uh, ethical bounds. Because, <laughs> I mean, well, is I the mean, horse is the horse part of a centaur okay to eat as opposed to the man part? Exactly! Is it, is it still considered exactly. cannibalism? No. Mm -mm. No. If you, no, not at all. As long as we stop at the spine where it connects, we're good. I would think that as long as you're not eating your own species and the meat doesn't make you sick, it's fair game. Now that's... <laughs> this is going dark, dice advice after night. Uh... I mean, are we are we talking about food or not? Would you eat a bear? I'm sure you would. Right, but, but a bear is not technically a sentient, intelligent, you know... Uh, oh, yes it is. Reason. Bears have friends. <laughs> sure. <laughs> But I mean, it's not capable of reason. Would you eat a monkey? Um, I some would feel bad. Do. I would start feeling bad about some it. And, and I and I do know some people who aren't necessarily vegetarians. They just won't eat meat if they think that meat was capable of having a friend. But what bothers me about that way of thinking is that plants are sentient creatures of their own. They sure are. Well, what? How do you figure? Oh, they sure well, are. So some plants, their roots are connected and they can share feelings and thoughts. So um, so there's a swamp in the swamp. It's been recorded where like uh, uh, so if a plant thinks it's under attack at a certain at this area of the swamp, it'll relay that message to the other plants on the other side. And like they share roots like they, they can speak to each other. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like feelings and thoughts. It's like a chemical reaction that they're hardwired to, to do so, I mean, before we lose more audience members in this debate. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. We're going, we're going way off the rails here. I'll tell you what plants like the sun. They hate the dark. There's, there's yeah. certain well, things. I mean, but see, you're putting it in abstract terms like like and hate. And they don't, it's not that they hate the dark. They cannot thrive in the dark. They need the sun for survival. It's not a, it's not a, you know what I'm saying? Have you ever had a sunflower sure. smile at you? 
<laughs> on a warm, breezy oh my God, I day. wish I had. <laughs> well, you know what I hate? I hate not having Slappy's peanut butter. That's what I hate. I've always got some. Of that. Well, yeah. I keep a thin layer of it coated on me at all times. <laughs> Every time I go swimming, layer. <laughs> have, have a hell of a time staying on the bus seat. <laughs> all right. Well, point being was that. You know, I was arguing, hey, like, we should take the horse meat and feed the village. And, like, they were so opposed to this, but it was so against my alignment that I, like, because it was chaotic good, that I got the alignment penalty and, like, I had to go off in a field and, like, pray to my god to get my spells back. Right, but, I mean, why would eating the horse meat of a centaur be against your alignment if you're doing I mean, it for survival? I, as, as the god, I made a decision. Yeah. I can I, I, I'm in conflict with this. I, I'm in total conflict because <laughs> at, at what point does hurting uh, dissuade free will? Well, I mean, you're right because people can change, right? Even characters in this game, you know, mm. just because you're just because you're setting your character up with an alignment and that that that's a guideline that you can kind of use to direct how you play. It doesn't mean you can't change and do something off brand which is just kind because of you're good aligned doesn't mean you'll never do anything bad but i want to i want to go back to the point saul said you know episodes ago it's like you, you you come into this game as a quote-unquote good character and immediately you're killing left and right that's the yeah that's a big part of this game is that murder <laughs> <laughs> well i mean but still that that's another like that's another a semantic line right that you're kind of trying to argue is it murder then when you're fighting against another uh person or creature that has weapons and is trying to attack you is that murder yeah. self-defense when you're fighting well, your enemy who right, said not, it? maybe not self-defense but it's it's you know it, i mean that's the way of life in this world well if we're looking at it from like a traditional DD standpoint where you're just a hired group of heroes that's pretty murderous yeah, can be mercenaries. It's kill or be killed out here in these streets, and I'm not going to wait to be killed. Uh, and, but so here's a here's another uh, dilemma that also that hurt that contributed to Lara's whole alignment thing. The group also found some troglodyte eggs when they were uh, clearing some of the uh, area, and so they had to make a decision of either. Destroying these eggs, which will one day hatch to troglodytes, but they're innocent in all in all reality. They're not even hatched yet. Or, you know, try and take care of them and hatch them and raise troglodytes. I, I support her decision for steak and eggs. Depends on what time of day. <laughs> I yeah. did not participate in egg smashing, to clarify. <laughs> I... Uh, this is a great, uh, very, very interesting discussion, and I think I I, I love um, referring back to either the the Adventure Zone. They do a great job, uh, McElroy crew. Uh, they they do a great job with the the love those guys. actual play stuff, and then they they struggle with this these questions. And I and they from their first arc, they had a talk show podcast about the actual um, actual play. And they took questions and stuff. And one of the questions was about like them. How, they they pre-plan things. 
or whatever are they doing it all improv um off the cuff and then there was an there was an event in game that they said it was probably one of the only times that they changed what they did because they uh the the whole storyline was about the um a, a, a world that they went to and they're like changing the fate of the people on that world or something and they weren't really happy with the way that the out the outcome of it because they felt like a, one or two of the characters were acting or making the decisions that weren't really in line with that character's personality and alignment, you know? So they yeah. actually went back and re-recorded it and decided to do it differently that really stayed a little more true to those characters. So I kind anyway, of respect I just, that. Yeah, I do too. I think it was a great, like it was a great self-realization that they had, they had really come a, a long way and they were telling a great story and people were following this and it, towards the end this was towards the end of the of the campaign they they realized what they were creating and that these characters had become you know almost living breathing right. creations and that they they really had to struggle with staying true to what those characters would do and, and maybe that, the actions they had taken didn't respect the characters right right and or, i think or that, uphold the respect that they had shown to that point yeah. And I mean, when you first start a campaign sitting around a table with people, you know, that could be total strangers, it's hard to, you know, you're developing, you're feeling it out. You're getting to know what your characters would do and who they are. Um, just because your alignment is written on the character sheet doesn't necessarily mean that's who your character is. You're right. trying to feel it out. But, you know, after we've gone so far, like two years playing with, with Hagar and, Ben and Eldwin, like we definitely know when when these characters would and would not do something, you know. But you get that you're going to get that after having played for so long as that character. Hagar is going to smash something. Uh, Eowyn's going <laughs> to yeah. look for the most eh, path of least resistance that might cause a blow up. Yeah. <laughs> ben is going to kind of like mumble and try to persuade you guys not to cause total anarchy. It's Kind of pretty much the way it goes yeah it's great and like so in the adventure zone again um one of the characters magnus burnsides he the character started out with his tagline magnus rushes in and he like followed through the entire arc even when it was detrimental to the party's success you know he, it, that he he acted without thinking and that was like his one character flaw that he used brilliantly in the story and and I, I just think that's really that's probably the epitome. That's an example of what you know is great about role playing to your character and doing what your character would do because you're making decisions. The characters making decisions that even even to the detriment of the the characters around them in the party, but it's still what that character would do. I think that's brilliant, and that's you know what's great about this collective storytelling thing because you know we're not who who was it? I don't know if it was something we said in one of our conversations or what, but if everybody is happy and there is no conflict and you know, we're, we're super nice to each other all the time, then there's no story. <laughs> true. Well, Very I, true. I think overall it's kind of uh, going back to the core of it. What the, what the well, listener, what the submission was about. It's really just open dialogue, looking at your character's backstory how you want to role play them and having that open communication with your dungeon master and trying to keep your real self separated from your 
player character. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. <clears throat> and I think that sums it up pretty, pretty nicely. If you guys are ready, we'll move on to question number two. <clears throat> oh, yeah. sounds good. Hi, guys. My name is Kate, not Katie. My boyfriend recently dragged me into the world of D&D, and I was wondering what fundamentals of the game do you deem most important or useful? And for a bonus round, how do you feel about female PCs in a primarily male community? All right. Well, first of all, Katie, you only get one question. <laughs> Just kidding. She's got a twofer. Yeah. Um, I, I th I'd like to to we can address one at a time yeah i mean i'm kind of interested in the the idea of um males and females in uh play because i think that's a really interesting question and luckily we have a guest today that can kind of help um shed some light on this like i think yeah it, it's it's a it's a tough line you know what i'm saying i mean I, clearly this this uh, game is, I mean, I don't know. It, would, would, it, would you guys consider it to be um, male-dominated? I mean, I would just in general. I mean, even in the video game world, it's, you know, there's female players, of course, but it's like they're, to my, to my knowledge, typically ogled and, you know, like, oh, my God, there's a girl playing video games. And it's more common now, but... It, it seems like a unicorn amongst horses type of thing. Yeah, it's been my experience that it's mostly males. I've played. I have played with females in the past, but it's it's m not very many. Maybe maybe one or two percent. I've actually had a pretty uh, different experience. Now, while there is the stereotypes that we do run into, and I have, I mean, me and Laura have dealt with this with the with ogling. Man, man can't keep their eyes off me, but um. You are sexy, Saul. You're a sexy beast. <laughs> but I've met a lot of female D&D uh, &D gamers, just people in, active in the gaming community, especially now that I'm going back to school. I, before I go to a four-year university, I started off uh, reattending a two-year university. And the leaders of these anime clubs, uh, video game clubs, are 19, 20-year-old women. So... It's definitely probably more today than it was yesterday. But the numbers are becoming more uh, balanced out, I think, for my uh, anecdotal evidence. And we can look up the statistics, but this this is just, you know, us having a shooting the shit. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to hear what Laura has to say, like what her perspective. So I guess I've had a lot of different experiences. Um, I think the worst one was my first magic tournament when I was like, oh, sure, Saul, I'll go to a drafting tournament with you when I had never played magic before. And, like, the flag should have been when a girl sat across from me and she was like, oh, finally, another girl! <laughs> Disclaimer, I said video games and uh, Dungeons & Dragons, not magic, the gathering, so. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Yeah, I have met other women who play Dungeons and Dragons. And like in high school, there were women in anime clubs um, and in college, like, you know, Pokemon and, and like those kind of video games. You know, my sorority hosted a Smash Brothers tournament um, every nice. year. We met, we met playing D&D. &D, so. We met playing D&D. &D. 
Oh, that sounds like a cute story. <laughs> Did you guys reach for the D20 at the same time? <laughs> Actual, no. Accidentally touch hands. No. You had your own dice. I brought my own dice. Yes, I brought my own dice. Yes. Way to say yes and, guys. <laughs> so, a quick synopsis. Laura was playing an old wizard, and I was playing a halfling pretending to be a child. So, yeah. And that was all she wrote. And love it. First mm. love it. And first actually, it kind of was. Yeah. So, like, I saw him in the kitchen, and I was like, man, this boy is fine. <laughs> nice. That's what I said. Yep. Um. So, I... Of course, I'm a cis white male, so I don't really have a. I, I'm not really not the best person to. Doc, talk, keep, you talk don't have opinions. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so my wife, uh, she's a social worker, and she's worked in human resources, specifically equal opportunity programs, before. And so, you know, I we've we've been able to. Um, share a lot of interesting discussions over the years about the representation of women, minorities in society in general. And so I think that, um, and it's something that we were talking about one of the previous episodes too, you know, D and D is a great social playground, right? Leo, I think me and you were kind of like riffing on this before. And, uh, so I, I see a lot in the industry, like, you know, listening to some actual play podcasts and stuff like that, you know, it, while it's still pretty male dominated, I mean, you get those shows and those moments where they're trying to diversify the the parties, you know, using male and female characters. And I, and I think it's great also that, you know, Brad come, came into our Dragonlance campaign. Now he's playing a female character. I think that's really cool. And I'm interested to see, see how that plays out because I think it's important to, you know, role-playing in general is a, is a great opportunity to, what am I trying to say here? Step outside of yourself. Yeah, exactly. And like, and in, in, be inclusive and. You right. Know. Isn't that something you can step outside of yourself. And at the same time, I, th I think that j just the simple act of doing that brings you closer to other people. Yeah, mm. absolutely. It makes you realize that we're all connected. Totally agree on that. I think also we got to look and I've ran in this encounter with a lot of people who were slightly more misogynistic and they're like, it's not it's not realistic to think that women are going to be warriors in a medieval fantasy game or uh, looking at like Call of Cthulhu. They're like, well, women Joan wouldn't be of arc. <laughs> women wouldn't be prominent in the 1940s or 1920s uh, when you're trying to roll these campaigns. Amelia Earhart. <laughs> Rosie the Riveter. Oh my God! Side note: There's this, there's this cute like, I have a daughter, so there's mm -hmm. like this um, cute uh, kids book. It's like famous women from history, and it's like little two minute stories for bedtime. It's great. Me and my we wife have that. Oh, you do? That's awesome. I think I think we do. Is Hillary Clinton in the middle of it? I I think and maybe Michelle it's, Obama and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Like, it's about maybe an inch and a half thick, and it's got all these different women from history, and each one yeah. gets about two or three pages. Yeah, we were in the store the other night, I and like we, I picked it up, and I was like, "Look at this!" And then some random lady turns around, and she's like, "Oh yeah, it's amazing. I'm a I'm a <laughs> preschool teacher, and like I love it. It's so great." Anyway, I say that because I think it's important. I, yeah, I think you know I I have a daughter, and I think in 
you know, me and my wife were just having this conversation last night. It's it's important to make her feel like she's empowered, especially mm. in the, the the time that we live in. And so, relating that back to you know being inclusive in these role playing games, I mean, I think it's important to show the world and society that uh, you know there is a role for you, no matter who you are. Right. Oh yeah, I I have three daughters myself, and uh, the God bless um, you. Yeah, I mean, and we did this on purpose. This wasn't an accident. I we did Bing Bang Boom, and we had th we didn't do three girls on purpose, but I did not have three children looking for a boy either. I don't want anybody to think that. I wanted three healthy babies, and I got what I wanted. Um, right. But one of the things that we stress, and it's always been something that was very important to me, is that I want to present this environment in which they, it's not even like they, they, uh, I don't ever want them to even get the hint that they were made to feel this way. I just want them to always know that this is reality, that your gender, and, and I'm sorry for being crude, but whatever is between your legs shouldn't make or have any bearing whatsoever on the end result of your life and what you desire to become. I mean, if of course you were born a gender male and your heart's desire was to bear children, well, that's a very unfortunate twist of fate for you. But I mean, career wise or life choices wise. Um, I, I think it's, it's definitely a good idea to set little girls up with no limits that way. And, um, <clears throat> Showing them that the, that the first, like, giving them examples of famous women throughout history are, are a good example of that. You know, computer programmers, mathematicians, scientists of all, of all types. And, and what gets hidden by the, 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 the patriarchy is the fact that really um, men have ridden on the backs of women in a lot of ways. Uh, sociology note. Um Sex is what's between your legs. Gender is in your head. Okay. Yep. Pardon me. Yep. Well, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And um, I have a niece and she's very aggressive. And I like that about her. And I prefer that she's aggressive and we have to tell her to slow down versus she's too gentle and we have to tell her to speak up or defend herself because the world is shaped in the way that it is and women had to fight for the right to vote and things like that. But that aside, and I just wanted to say that, but um, I, I do want to say that um, I am a little bit conflicted about the idea and it's not for my own. Well, it is and it isn't. Well, actually I have two, I have two concerns about play. I've never actually played with a female character before. And it worries me because I know how dudes are when a lady gets into the mix. Like it's like the dynamic changes a little bit to where it's like, I don't know. It's like, I don't know if, if men feel this need to like impress the lady in the group or, or what it might be. And then I worry for myself. That's my one point. And I'd, I'd love to hear anyone else's take on that. And then also my other point is that, um, me myself, I'm a vulgar person, but I was raised to be polite around the company of women and things like that. So I wouldn't say half of the things that I would typically say out of respect. And I would just have to, I would have to restrain myself 
from being as vulgar as I typically would like to be. And that kind of just being, being honest, it, it, it worries me. The idea of me not being able to let loose and let my hair down. I hear you. I hear you tip tapping around the idea that you might be uncomfortable playing with a female in your party. Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't begrudge you that because I hear what you're saying. There are actions that you probably wouldn't take because you wouldn't want to offend that woman in real life. And I feel the same way. That's true. And and thank you for, uh, <laughs> for putting that in, into words for me. Well, I really just, I'm only, I'm not trying to re state. I'm, I'm only trying to be a good listener and tell you how I understood what you said, because I felt what you said in my own way, as you were saying it. But I do, f- I feel conflicted because I'm all yeah. for, I'm all for equality and progression and, and unity and us coming together and getting a different point of view from something that like somebody would see things you guys who are who have children see things from a different angle than us who do not those right. who have wives see things different than those with girlfriends and so on and so forth like everybody sees the world from a different point of view and I, i'm missing that i'm you sorry know, i totally disagree like playing with a girl at the table is not different from playing with guys at the table. Like we had awkward, like sexual situations when a guy joined the party, like not when I was at the table or when our friend Cece was at the table. Yeah. And like, you know, when I, well, I think what Harry is saying is that the introduction of the female only triggers his own hangup. So, then that's his personal problem. Yeah, of course. Of course. And he's, and what he's saying is um, that when, when she's there, I don't feel like I could really act the way I might when she wasn't. I mean, but that's is all. she your friend? Like, because you should feel comfortable acting that way around a friend. Yeah, there's the problem right there. If you if you if they are, if you really knew the person well, Harry, it might not even matter. Yeah, well. But if it was a fu- if it was a female friend who you'd known for a long time and you trusted and you knew she wasn't going to judge you and hold it against you, you would be free. I, I yeah. kind of want to weigh in here because I think it, I think it's less about you know Harry and his personal feelings. Too, we got to also take into account like probably plenty of men feel the same way, not just in D and D, but in oh yeah every aspect of life. And we can t- sure we can refer back to you know things like women in the military and how for how you know, over the course of history, why it has been argued against and why it has been argued for, we need to just, I, I think it's important to, to, to identify that this is, this is like a, a long, long standing issue. And it probably will be for a very long time. There's always sure going to be that. There's always going to be that I, idea of, uh, you know, different genders and how they, uh, interact in social situations and, yep. and how that those microcosms of D and D or the military or, you know, see, you know, the, the business world, whatever, it's a representation of the larger society. And I don't think we could solve any of those problems here. <laughs> in I think it's possible. I think it's completely possible for both g- genders to, Let's just put it in in uh, for instance this way. Well, if also, I, you know, I'm saying, and and also that's. I feel like I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but just to say okay. that we're we're really getting close to some 
sensitive stuff because you're you're talking about gender in a in a um in a, in a uh, what's the very word? general sense maybe no, i'm not you're using saying the correct you're terms. saying you're saying men and male and female yeah well i mean this is there's this more is than the two genders i know, get that society. but the question broke it down to male and female as well it right. didn't talk about gender fluidity and to go back to the question what i'm what i'm trying to say is if you have a group of one whether it be male or female or whatever whatever have you a or b and it's mainly one or mainly the other and then you take the quote unquote odd person out and you have a minority in that group that minority uh is going to affect the majority and it's it's just the way it is and i think that's what this question boiled down to is how do you feel about the way adding a minority figure to the group affects the dynamic and I think the standard too, the standard thing that I think people worry about the most with D and D, and that I've heard anecdotally, is, and that I think you guys have touched on, especially you know Laura and Saul, that when a female comes in, there is, uh, you know, the typical problems that arise are more to do with the uh, the sexual stuff, stuff in the sexual nature, right? I mean, I've heard, I think oh. Ben is. Jesse's talked about before, like how the problems that they've had with men in their group when it comes to those kind of interactions between male, so, female in a group. Doc, I have two antidotes. To, so two stories for yeah. that, actually. OK, so I played uh, this is before I met Laura. Um, I was doing a campaign about four years ago with some new characters. And we had a one girl uh, and three guys and then myself. Uh, and we were all good friends. We worked together. Um, the, the two guys were two brothers and they, uh, and then we had the other guy who was also there. Uh, they had captured a female doppelganger and they wanted to do very triggering things. And I had to stop the campaign because they were going too far. And I had to kind of counsel them and go, Hey, look, you can't, you can't, I'm not comfortable with that. And, you know, I remember the young lady later came, talked to me and that I said, you know, that she appreciated that because she was getting really triggered by that from her personal experiences. And then the second experience I had, this is PTSD triggered, not like Reddit abusive form of triggered, correct? Yes, this is triggering. Yes. The second experience I had actually was between we were I was playing a campaign with me, my one of my good friends, AJ and another gentleman. And that man made me and my friend AJ uncomfortable with all the sexuality he was doing inside that campaign. Like he wanted us to like have sex with prostitutes and he was trying to give us like these really, you know, descriptive like images. And we're like, dude, we're just trying to kill stuff. You know, I have had similar experiences and it was just a one time i basically the first time i ever played D D with this with this person and it got like that i it, when it was over it that was it it was over i didn't come back yeah and i think you know clearly and what you you guys laura and so what you've said previously is that it doesn't matter male female trance whatever like it, it's all about being a decent human being <laughs> and like you know what i'm saying We're, you come to the table and interact you, you're 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 um 
engaging in a social contract with the other players at the table, just be decent. And like, you know, it, this isn't a this isn't a place to live out some wild, unconscious. Well, you know, you know Harry dancing. Hagar taking a shit is vulgar. That's not sexual, and that might and be something. Really, that might be oh something. Oh my god, what a great example! I'm saying Harry might have been uncomfortable in front of a dainty lady who he respected, saying, "My character goes and takes a shit." Correct. I would be like, I, I might even be, I'd be like, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to go use the bathroom over there. I might say that in front of a lady just because I want to be a gentleman. But I'm trying to be gross and make my friends laugh. I'm going to try to be polite. And, um, but that said, I want to wrap this up. I don't want us to go too long on this because yeah. it is a two part yeah. question, but I do want to wrap this up with, um, so overall what I'm hearing, uh, is that it seems like it's a challenge. For whatever reason it might be, it's a challenge for males, females, majorities, minorities to, even though this game is a social, uh, how, how did you put it? Social playground, I guess. Yeah, I love that term. Even though this game is a social playground, it's still a challenge for us to overcome certain hurdles. So what do you guys think that we could do baby steps to move forward to make it less of a challenge less of a big deal and more of a common practice you got to set down house rules before you start expectations table expectations yeah, yeah i think that's a good idea house rules is, is a i like that idea a lot surround yourself with people who you enjoy being around and play with only those people you like that's not a bad idea either but, you know, e even the people you like can irritate you a little bit every now and again. And it's not a bad <laughs> idea. To I mean, it really isn't. And and I mean, I, I, I'm still having that. <laughs> I'm still having that newcomer anxiety with you guys. And, and I'm I'm not fishing for anyone to compliment me or say anything about it in any way. And, unless, of course, you don't like me. And then I'd love I'd love to hear that. But you know how <laughs> it is when you're with new people. You wonder, do, do they like me? Uh, am I annoying them? You know, things like that. So what I'm saying is it might not be a bad idea every now and again to step a little bit outside of your box, not not wholly outside of the box, but set one foot outside the box and make your box grow. Let's put it that way. I like that. I was just saying general rule of the Internet. Don't be a dick. And, you know, I guess yep. don't sexually assault people. <laughs> That's never good. Amen. Amen to that. <laughs> We do not endorse that behavior around here. So, uh, but second part of the uh, question, Hagar, which was what what fundamentals of the game do you deem most important or useful? Um, I'd like to talk on that if that's cool. Yeah, of course. Um, I think Laura had a really good point that she was uh, kind of talking to me about the other day, and I'll let her explain it. Um, so, like, when I was first introduced to the game, and actually still to this day, whenever Saul starts going into stats and like tanks and min-maxing, my eyes just sort of glaze over and I just get a little sleepy because I don't <laughs> know what he's talking about. It's very foreign. Really, I think the best and easiest way to get into D&D &D is Pathfinder because you have those skill boxes. So you know, oh, my my um, character knows climbing and they can talk to animals and they can navigate dungeons and, and those things down the list. And then also like 
make them a range or, or something that, you know, you do like regular attacks and not spells because spells are very co complicated and confusing and very hard to understand when you're first entering D&D. Oh, I agree completely. The spells are super overwhelming for a beginner and uh, it's much easier to go in with the sword than to take the time to uh, study up. And I, and I use the word study, uh, study up on using spells and magic and things like that. I mean, um, I, I totally agree with that. Well, I know in uh, Dungeons and Dragons there, uh, there's a tier system for classes. It's not official or anything like that, but I know amongst the forums, you know, you have wizard and cleric being a top tier classes and a fighter being a lower tier. And it's because of depth of complexity and oh, yeah, what they you, can do. You're talking about like, yeah, the level of complexity and how, how to match those up with the, the experience of the player. Mm -hmm. and exactly. I, I've always found that to be the, the entry level is a fighter. And then you, moving up from there would be a, um, a fighter, then a rogue. And then, you know, you, you get into some of the more medium difficulties like Ranger um, paladin. and yeah, and Paladin. And then you and then you would step into an entry level uh, like Druid. Mm -hmm. or sorcerer. And then and then a, and then maybe like, yeah, Cleric and then Wizard and then mixing classes. Then then it gets really interesting. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I'm sorry, you, Agar, I cut no, you off no, after you. No, I think when I was working with Laura and we were trying to talk about this, I was being the DM and she's a player amongst my three other friends. And the first thing she said was, I want to be a ranger, but I don't want to cast spells. And so I worked with her and I looked, this is Pathfinder, by the way. So I had alternative things I can do. And so now she's just a really, really deadly archer. And uh, so, you know, I think again, the fundamentals though, teach them how to attack, teach them how to, role play get their feet wet with a really low complexity class and then like like leo said work them up the tears that's my that's my advice yeah and I, I think my wife uh after she listened to our you know um our pilot episode of companions reborn like one of her questions was how do you know how to roll and how do you know like uh, she didn't get the points. She said, I, I don't understand the points system, right? And so I think, and that's really, um, you know, it's a really good place to start for somebody that has no idea about D&D &D yeah. and kind of getting in that mindset. What's the point system, right? Okay, so, you know, if I, probably one of the most fundamental of the game is rolling the dice and understanding what your um ability scores are and how that affects gameplay. I mean, yep. to break it down in the most succinct way possible, I think, and this is how I kind of look at it, especially with new players, is that it's a, it's a collective storytelling game. You have uh, characters and a dungeon master, and the dungeon master gives you a situation. You, uh, as the character, decide what you want to do, and you roll dice and the dungeon master says if you succeed or fail i mean that's kind of like bare bones basic understanding of D, &D yeah. and it, which is a great way to start also i think that um giving a new character if we're kind of going that way talking about how to get new characters or new sorry new novice players into the game giving them a character sheet and just you know 
explaining the fun, explaining like dice rolls and abilities and how that relates to the game, uh, and then kind of easing them into it by using the role playing element and leaning on that a little more heavily. Like if a a, a new player not, may not un completely understand the quote unquote point system, you know, but no you can lean on the role-playing element of it. And as a dungeon master, you can give them a situation, ask them how they would like to respond to it and then have them roll dice or roll dice for them. I think that's a really cool. Uh, if you guys ever saw, saw Harmon quest, um, they use pathfinder, uh, Dan Harmon, uh, the guy that, uh, did community and Rick and Morty and all that. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah they use pathfinder and there's, it was like an actual play, um, thing, but the dungeon master did everything for them. They just kind of, said what they wanted to do and he rolled all the dice and and made all the decisions so that's another way to kind of nice help a new character new i'm three sessions in right now actually teaching someone to play dungeons and dragons who's never played and uh saul played with this guy last week uh his name is mike uh and he's playing uh ari strongbow or summer's character in the rick and morty module and i i started him basically from nothing i i emailed him his character sheet on a pdf and started with a brief chat session and i was like look dude i don't want you to stress out about this too much and i think you know what i told him at the time was that i thought the most important thing for him to begin to understand was like you're a person that's great and it doesn't really matter all the different characteristics of that person over here on the on the right what you need to concern yourself with right now is all this information here on the left. And that was ability scores and then his proficiencies. And um, I told him that, you know, your, your saving throws and your skills and your abilities are going to be the things that you are going to use to weigh against the difficulty class. And that's it. This game is going to be you and those skills and those numbers against the difficulty class. And when you say you want to do anything, I'm going to set a difficulty class for that. And we're going to use those numbers there as the way to measure how successful you are. And once somebody grasps that that's the way the game works, Mike's already a pro. Yeah, I think that's a great way to intro somebody into it because it's it's very it's rules light. It's easily digestible. Uh, and it's somebody who's a complete novice and never played the game before can jump in and have fun with it. And then once they uh you know are, are having fun and enjoying it then they're going to be more motivated to go on their own and try to learn more of the intricacies and the the more yeah. the, the complex stuff yeah now uh, as soon as i ask mike i'm like mike roll 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 this roll investigation roll this roll that he knows what he's doing he's looking right at it he's like look i have a plus two i have a plus three. Oh no i don't have any bonus at all i hear him say and i'm like yeah he knows what he's doing he's looking at and i'm looking at his character sheet too and he's finding it just as fast as i am so he's obviously taking an interest in the whole metric yeah, of how it works i think it's another good point though leo that you started with a beginner module mm -hmm. and looking back you know doc hagar ben you guys i i pretty much put you guys in a complex situation when we started the uh, Dragonlance campaign had you guys not played D&D &D before, I don't think you guys would have enjoyed that camp that 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 way that started. You can speak on that, Doc and Hagar. But had if you guys never played before, I definitely would have used one of the resources that made available to DMs, which is these beginner modules that'll ease the players into it. 
Are you talking about like just the Dragonlance campaign setting itself or like your the rules of the world, i.e., you know, magic is forbidden, you can't have magic, stuff like that? Well, it's the combination of both. The Dragonlance yeah. campaign setting was was unique. And if you had no, uh, you know, investment in, in the Dragonlance world and you're discovering the storyline, that's cool. But going back, like you said, it was the mechanics. I, you know, you, I, I say, here's how to play D&D. And then at the very beginning of the campaign, I go, but none of these rules apply now. Right. I mean, I just saw it as a healthy challenge. Um, yeah. It's a beautiful spin on something that's already been done before. And um, I, I thought it was very... That was very challenging. I mean, how but boring would things be? Camp- if that was your first campaign, Hagar, and oh. you never played D&D before, how would you have liked it? I would be disgusted. I love magic, you know. Yeah, a lot of even, people are playing it just for that reason alone. Yeah. Even as a barbarian, I, I had more magic than most <laughs> for a little while there. Yeah, and, let's not um, talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Good old days. But it's... um. I don't know. I think it's a beautiful, healthy challenge. But yeah, I, I could see it discouraging to someone yeah. who's really excited about casting magic for the first oh, time, yeah. whether yeah. you're a wizard I'm, or not. A lot of people have the idea Dungeons and Dragons in their head is more of the uh, Forgotten Realms idea. And, you know, Dragonlance, I got to be honest, I don't have a lot of experience with Dragonlance. And so. Well, when I realized that the campaign you guys were in, there were no wizards. I was like, what? No wizards. What's what? what? Excuse there, me. There are wizards. It's just they're very, you know, untrusted. Few and far between. Yeah. And, and zero priests. And they, well, so the thing about Forgotten Realms, I no, think. Cl- no clerics. Something right. to understand about Forgotten Realms is that the Forgotten Realms are so ubiquitous. They're everywhere. I mean, like, you know, D&D 3. It, 3.5, I think, is what like a lot of the modern day video games are based on. A lot of the modern game RPGs, um, and uh, you know, everybody, what was it, um, Baldur's Gate and stuff like that, Skyrim, yep. all that, all that came out of Forgotten Realms. So it's so ubiquitous, and I think that means that people are really familiar with that. Even if you never played Dra- Dungeons and Dragons before, you probably right. have heard it right. in passing. And that's but how I they come with- in with that preconceived idea. Yeah, and I but I agree with Harry though. For for us having had experience with the game before coming into the Dragonlance world, I like dived into the to the um, to the uh, world, the world itself, and all of the rule books and the setting books, um, just in creating my character and 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 learning about what kind of backstory he might have, uh, and just trying to get like immersed in the world of Kryn. It was just so fun to me. Um, but of course, uh, you know, again, that would have been very discouraging for somebody having never played before. Yeah. A brand new person would be discouraged by that's overwhelming. They it might be more than they even want to, that's a big sandwich to hand somebody at their first. Definitely. Video. Definitely. Hey, um, we actually, we're kind of running a little long on time, so we should probably, uh, get into our last segment of the show. Um, uh, <clears throat> per the usual, we have homebrew items do they suck or are they rad do they suck or are they rad yeah sword (laughs) brought to you by okay sword of the familiar bond a very rare sword imbued with the magical aura of many creatures the mechanics of the sword when a person attunes to this weapon 
The Find Familiar spell is cast simultaneously. Once per day, the attuned person has the ability to use the sword to cast either the Find Familiar spell or the Flock of Familiar spells at third level. For every familiar alive at the swing of the sword, add one die six damage, the sword swings. Damage types depending on the origin of the familiar, celestial, radiant, fey, psychic, fiend, fire, things of that nature. So depending on what creatures you summon randomly, that's what type of uh, damage type you're going to get for the sword. And also, we should say this was a uh, magic item created by Amir. Thanks, Amir. Yeah, yeah. Um, copyright Knights of the Bastille. Thank you very much. On first glance, I love this one. Yeah, I would. I'm gonna agree. Um, I'm gonna agree with that. Yeah. I, you know, honestly, I'm imagining a, a rogue having a really good time with this. Why you say rogue? Well, so. Because it gives you the ability to cast a spell, it's not saying you have access to this spell. You can actually cast it. So a rogue with this, they'll get three familiars, and as long as he, they make those familiars hide, they can use them to flank people, get a op attacks of opportunity. Yeah, and they're still uh, adding sneak attack three every D6. time. Yeah, I don't know now, why, but that... I imagined I imagined a ranger with it. Personally, I imagined a druid myself. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, now. I'm I'm interested in this rodeo. Like, it, would you interpret the rules as uh, if he had familiars that were that were within five feet of his enemy that he would automatically get sneak attack? Does that count? I looked this up once actually, and using your familiars to flank and to you can uh, maneuver your familiars to uh, pincer somebody will give you those that advantage which you need to use sneak attack. Nice, that's an awesome combo, rogue combo right there. You get like, and then I mean, every every attack guaranteed sneak attack damage, until they kill one of your familiars, right? Or, or like dispel it or whatever. Yeah. So here it is. The find familiar spell gives the creature gives you a creature that you control that rules its own initiative. It can attack, but can take other actions as normal. But one of these actions can be helped. This action can give advantage to skill checks of a creature, or can be used in combat to give advantage to an attack. Yeah, that's uh, super awesome. That's pretty solid. I mean, and they don't they don't clarify what the base damage of the sword is initially. I think it's a one die six. It's probably just going to be their typical um, broadsword or longsword, right? So yeah, it's I mean it's a decent addition to what you know what your base is going to be. It's not the worst. And the beauty of a flock of familiars is you're summoning them. You can choose which ones you need you will need some ravens i mean you start you need some uh some radiant damage boom you're good you need some fire damage boom want to get a psychic damage because who the hell is resistant to psychic boom you're good this is crazy though i mean let's get let's let's look at this for a second what is it if it's a long sword broad sword you're talking about one d8 right and a damage or something like that uh yeah, or, along or lines. d6 yeah. or d8 okay yeah. so that plus your your proficiency bonus then plus strength getting, right then you're getting uh whatever however many familiars you have out that's 1d6 per familiar right so if that's that's th an extra 3d6 plus if you're a rogue 
and you're doing sneak attack at level five, that's another two d six. Like this is this is probably too 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 big, too strong. That's juicy. That is pretty juicy when you weigh it out that way. Yeah, it is pretty juicy. I mean, yeah, that's when a, I thought through how damaging this weapon could be, I I think it's um, it's you're very talking powerful. like let's see an average of uh, let's just say a rogue at fifth level. That's five d six extra. So that's what four per. That's twenty average of twenty extra damage, twenty five damage total, an average yeah. on every attack. So I think this item really doesn't need any uh much much more discussion. Honestly, I think we came to our first <laughs> well, unanimous decision. I think I mean, so. It's rad. I would like. It is Laura, rad. What do you think? I mean, I think it'd be great if it was a cat sword, and then you got piercing damage, even more piercing damage. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, but I would uh my I would like to say also, how would you nerf this, Saul? Oh, like, how would I how, would how would you give it a comp uh, uh consequence or something to kind of like balance it out? Can't be used by rogues. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> that's well, good. I would you know, honestly, another thing you could do though, and this could just be to balance it out, is well, while the while the spells are active, mm, see that's difficult right there because spell fa familiar is is a, a very long lasting spell. Oh, here we go. Should a familiar die, you will receive three die six worth of the damage that they are yeah. that they represent. Yep. Wow, what a consequence! Yep. Every time you, you attack. Them. No, so for example, you have three. You have three fey, or let's say you have three familiars out, right? Uh -huh. And Hagar manages to kill one of them. You'll receive three die six psychic damage. Oh shit! Isn't that the way it works anyway? When your familiar dies? No, not in fifth edition. Yeah, if it drops oh. to zero hit points, it just disappears. Okay, I was it was it different? In third okay. edition, it was. You would receive damage. Yeah, I remember there being damage in in AD and D second edition. If I'm not mistaken, it's hot. I like no, that. this. Is the, uh... <laughs> I'd have to look it up. But anyway, we gave damage when your familiar died. Here, I have it right here. You gain the services of familiar, a spirit that takes the animal form of you choose. Bat, cad, crab, frog, hawk, lizard, etc. Uh-huh. Appearing in an unoccupied space within range. Familiar has the statics of the chosen form, though it is either a celestial fiend or fey, your choice, instead of a beast. Your familiar acts independently, but will always obey your commands. Yeah. Um, when the familiar drops to zero hit points, it disappears, leaving behind no physical form. And so it reappears like after you cast a spell again. I like your psychic damage then. That's yeah. definitely a, a way to balance it. It's so, and uh, obviously, if you summon a fey, uh, uh, fiend, you would receive fire or celestial would be radiant. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But, but like maybe, and what did, how much did you say? How uh, much so damage? Three, three die six for the first one, two die six for the second one, and one die six for your last one. So, because be I was thinking maybe you could just take half of the damage that it would inflict. Because no, it's, see that, it's inflicting 1d6. You could maybe do 1d3 wait, to the wielder. Wait, every time you use it? No, when they, when they die. No, man. You're, these are This is heavy damage, especially if you have the hands of a rogue. The rogue's doing average 25 damage, and all they have to do is keep their familiars alive. You yeah. got to make it. <laughs> and then all you're going to do is get three hit points when it dies. Okay. But, but check this out. If if you have I wouldn't even carry it that familiars, if you have if you're like a, a spell caster already, okay, mm -hmm. and you have flock of familiars, you can mm -hmm. cast the spell 
um, a third level spell slot or higher, you get an additional familiar, right? Yeah. So that's to add an extra d6 of damage. So if you're every... using a, uh, think of the uh, arcane trickster. Yeah. The if you're an arcane trickster rogue, a few of your familiars, you would drop that weapon. Well, yeah, but I mean, I think, I, I still think it's, it's, it's really strong. Really as it is yeah but i think as soon as saul i mean I, I i hear you and i and i like what you did but you you balanced it right out of my hands with that damage <laughs> <laughs> it was great until i got hurt by you know so yeah at, the, the way this is written i think is rad but as soon as we take that and put that balance to it it's not as it, it is clearly written up as a very rare item so it's oh, not yeah. something that you just come across i mean it's something you would i would imagine you'd have to earn it it's not oh, something yeah. you, you know so you might um, not have it long i i do i lean towards leo's half damage uh I, I would like to see the one die three half of the damage that it could inflict but i do see the the balancing act but if it's going to be beneficial I wouldn't want it exactly to be well balanced. I'd want it to lean towards in my benefit. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that was my, me being selfish coming up with that. Cutting, right. Like, cutting, of Saul, course. cutting Saul's damage in half. I'm like, come on, DM, <laughs> can we just make it 1d3 instead? <laughs> I hear you. That's exactly I mean, where that came from. So are we pretty unanimous with this decision? It's rad. Oh, it's I'm, rad. I'm going rad all night, boy. 100% rad. Can I have this right now? Can, like, <laughs> I'll take two. I need to put this sword in Aelwyn's hands. No, it'll never be in Aelwyn's hands. <laughs> even if it, even if I have to use strength, which I have is plus zero. <laughs> oh shit! I'll still, I'll still do massive damage. I'll borrow. I'll hold it for you. All right, guys. <clears throat> in closing, let's wrap it up for the night. But before we go, I'd like to thank our regular sponsors of the show: Slappy's Peanut Butter. Are you tired of store-bought peanut butters, creamy and smooth, gently gliding across a slice of bread like a limber figure skater in the prime of their life, skating for the love of their withholding father, and you're too good for this, you should have been a doctor attitude having mother? Well, have you? In any case, try Slappies. Made without judgment. Only too much oil, because it's cheaper that way, and business ain't cheap. Also brought to you by Jim and Nancy's Jar Emporium. Yes, we have jars. Now we have more. Bidding you adieu. Good night, you princes of Maine, you kings of New England, and to you, queens of the world. Peanut butter makes it better. Slather up. Once again, I'm Harry. And I'm John. I'm Saul. I'm Laura. And I'm Leo. Thank you for joining our table for another exciting episode of Dice Advice. Until next time, friends, au revoir. I'm back, guys. Sorry, I had to do a bump of Coke real quick. Hey, sounds good. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do to keep up, man. Sounds yeah. good.